0: Our lives have been turned upside down by this pandemic, but we're going
1: to get through this. No peace. No justice. No peace. Brianna Taylor.
2: Breonna Taylor. We're going to know how to be resilient and how to bounce back and how to adapt to whatever life is going to throw at us. Let's use this as an opportunity to create a system that's better than the one that we've been in for so long.
0: We're just trying to think outside of the box for a tough time like this.
2: You
1: can't get this wrong because it's never been done before. All you can do is try, you make a mistake, you fix the mistake, you move forward. That's where we are.
2: There's an opportunity here to change how we do education. So how do we change education? That big question doesn't have easy answers. But now's the time to dig in, to listen to each other and to work on solutions because the decisions we are making right now are already determining our future. Plug into GA's new podcast, Bright Future, Start Now. We'll talk with real change makers about real issues, and we need you to be a part of the conversation. Hi, I'm Dina Hayes-Green. I'm the managing director and co-founder of the Racial Equity Institute, and also serve as chair of the Board of Education uh, in Guilford County. I've been on the school board since 2002.
0: And I'm Skip Austin, president and owner of the Austin Realty Group here in Greensboro. I also uh, serve as chairman of the Guilford County Board of Commissioners. And I've been on the board for
1: a total of 24 years. And I'm Kevin Gray, president of the Weaver Foundation and host for this episode. Dean and Skip, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here. I think you'll both agree that this is a pivotal time in Guilford County. There are things to be optimistic about. In November, 2020, we passed a much-needed $300 million bond for school facilities. We've made great progress in combating the pandemic. There's a growing trend of folks moving back into mid-sized cities like Greensboro and High Point, thereby lifting our tax base, and yet there are persistent challenges. We still see deeply entrenched racial inequities in our community and divisive politics across the country that can make moving forward together seem very daunting. So let's talk about some of this.
2: Well, thank you for having us, Kevin. It's nice to be here with you, especially nice to be here with Commissioner Alston. I like to say he's why I'm here. He came to me almost 20 years ago and said, we need you to run for school board. Best choice I ever made. And uh, And I did. And. I didn't know what I was doing, but he uh, literally walked me down to the Board of Elections, got me signed up, helped me put together a campaign team, went door to door, and been here ever since.
0: (laughs) And our community is a whole lot better off because of that decision (laughs) made to run for the school board.
1: Thank you. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We're good to hear that. Well, as I said, in November of 2020, Guilford County voters approved a $300 million school facilities bond by overwhelming majority, I think uh, over 70%. During a pretty divisive election a year, um, what does this tell the two of you about our community?
2: Well, I'll start off. I think um, I just have to lift up all of the incredible people that got behind this effort. I think the master study that was done looking at all of our schools, not in just a piecemeal fashion, but looking at all of our schools across the district. And seeing the incredible needs—schools that needed to be rebuilt, schools that were busting at the seams, schools that had leaky roofs, schools that had inadequate heating, venting, and air conditioning systems—and so on—I think the uh, board of county commissioners and the school systems partnership in getting that master facilities study done, and then all of the people across all lines of differences came together and used that study to educate and inform people—parents, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, young people, older people, parents, single people. And um, I think they were very successful at letting people know that um, our community is as strong as our schools are, and so, um, so I, I would attribute that as a sort of major factor in the um, in the support of the uh, school bonds.
0: And I can echo uh, what Dana just uh, stated. I mean, but that three hundred million is just a just the beginning. Uh, we have a two billion dollar with a B. Uh, a problem within our school system. All of the things that uh, data just ran off. Uh, that all of that can't be done with only three hundred million. We need a one point seven billion dollar uh, bond package, and we're hoping to have that uh, next year in order to take care of all of those things that was on that uh, that study list. Uh, in order to count, make sure that our students and our teachers have good, com- uh, comfortable, and uh safe schools in order to educate our children in.
1: Expand on that a little bit, if you would. Why are school facilities such a focus for the school board and for the county commissioners right now?
2: Well, I'd say we learned a lot during this pandemic, wouldn't you, Skip? Because one of the things that we learned is maybe we could have had more kids in school. We wouldn't have had such huge gaps because of technology issues. We found out our schools. Uh, you know, aren't constructed. It didn't have the infrastructure for connectivity and access. We found out our students didn't have devices. We found out we didn't have proper air quality to allow some kids, you know, social distancing and to allow some kids to stay in school. So it's not just during a crisis, but it is educationally enhanced 21st century facilities uh, for for the betterment of this community. And um, when there's a safety crisis, when there's an environmental crisis, we just saw that we were in pretty bad shape. To respond to that. And I think we did the best we can. I think our superintendent, I know that our philanthropic community and other civic leaders came forward. People got, you know, on the ground really fast getting the things that our kids needed from food to um, laptops to access to connectivity, the hotspots. Uh, but you don't want to be in that kind of crisis mode, uh, you know, um, you know, what is your sort of d- standard operating practice. So
1: can you have anything you want to add? I, I, I totally agree.
0: Uh, we we look at it from number one uh, standpoint where our kids need a good safe place in order to learn. Uh, they need the new technology. Uh, they need or need to make sure that our kids are not uh, wearing overcoats uh, in the wintertime uh, because the heat is not working mm. and uh, taking off their clothes for, because it's so hot because the air conditioner not working in the summertime. Kids can't learn under that those environments and teachers can't teach under those environments. So the community. Is suffering because of that. But I look at it from another standpoint as a county commissioner. I look at it from a standpoint of economic development. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, When people come to Gifford County and when our Chamber of Commerce are going out asking people to relocate, here, corporations to come and relocate here, bring their families here uh, and invest millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into our community. They first look at our schools. They want to make sure that their kids, when they come here, their kids are going to have a nice place in order to uh, get their education. And so that's an economic uh, uh, factor and magnet uh, for our our, our Chamber of Commerce to be able to boast that we got state-of-the-art schools uh, within our community. And their kids and their families will be taken care of uh, from our educational standpoint. So I look at it from that standpoint, when we bring corporations here, uh, then that means that we have a better tax base. Right. In order to do, bring more money
1: in, in order to take care of the needs of our citizens here. Yeah, one of the top things selectors look at is public education. That's, That's right. It. So, Dean, I was going to ask you, why does it matter if Guilford County schools are updated? I think you answered that a little bit with the pandemic kind of example. But can we use some of this investment, this really large investment to combat some of the racial inequities that we see, especially in the, the wealth and income gap uh, in, in the uh, communities of color?
2: Yeah, Kevin, that's a great question. I think it was back in 2014. I'm not sure who brought him in, but I think the city and some philanthropic organizations brought PolicyLink and their big think tank out in California. They came in and did an equitable growth profile of the triad, which included like 12 counties and, and of course, including Guilford High Point um, and said that our GDP would have been $9.5 billion higher had we closed racial inequities just in wages, just in income. And so uh, it is a complex situation that it's not just one thing because wealth and inequity, uh, wealth and poverty occur across generations. It's a complex um, arrangement of, of housing and, and job opportunities and educational deficits and health issues and environmental issues. There's just so many things. Schools are a part of that. Um, so schools can do things that can absolutely impact children's educational experience. Is it adequate to address a glacial wealth and income inequity? Absolutely not. That is a, um, a, a big problem that is going to require seismic interventions in a cross-systems way. Well, many
1: of us in this community and around the country have committed ourselves to work on understanding the history of race in America and its in- impact and uh, to do something about it. So to bring listeners into this work, I'd like to ask both of you, what's racial equity mean to you? How do you define that? Um and it's kind of a three part question, but why is it important to talk about this as we point Guilford County towards the future?
2: Well, Guilford County has our history like the United States has its history. And if we look back, we can see that we had a a beginning that was based on inequities. you know who who could live here, who could learn here, who could. Uh, buy a house here, who could own who here, who could work in certain places, certain industries, in certain sectors. And um, so the the things that we have, the inequities that we have today, and they exist, you know, Cone Health and the Guilford County Department of Public Health deals with health inequities all along the health spectrum. There are inequities between maternal and child health, diabetes, um, you know, cancer. And those are not just attributed to individual causes, you know, individual behavior, individual issues. The educational system has inequities across the educational spectrum um, when we're looking at labor and employment. So inequity exists in all of our systems. And so it is gonna require this county to, one, reckon with our past to see that our past set things, our past set things up that we're struggling with today. These, the issues around, um, you know, where you could live. You know, by the 1970s, the majority of black residents in this city lived in the Southeast Quadrant. What is the poorest area where poverty is most concentrated racially? The Southeast Quadrant. That had to do with decisions made a long time ago that you couldn't live in Irving Park. They had racially restrictive covenants that said, if you're not white, you can't live here. You can't live in Fisher Park. You can't live in College Hill. And so where people lived um, contributed to the schools, what kind of conditions the schools were in, what kind of businesses came. So again, these issues are historical and they're structural. And so racial equity is, is one, we acknowledge the role that the past has played in creating the present. Two, we address that and then we put things in place so that your outcomes and experiences are not determined by your race. Today, race is a primary indicator of your outcome in life. And so, um, so it's, it's not just, just getting along and the fact that we stopped discriminating. When you stop discriminating doesn't mean you addressed the damage that was done for the centuries that you discriminated.
1: How would you answer the question around the issue of Guilford County and our civility? And we've always had this wonderful history of equity in our community with the Underground Railroad, the Quakers, the Rights Museum. Um, And so some people would say, you know, it's not as bad as other places, perhaps. So I'm just curious what your reaction is to
2: that. Yeah, I don't know if we have a history of, you know, prioritizing or valuing equity. I do think we have a history of resistance to the inequity. I think we can look at the Underground Railroad. We can look at the sit-in movement. We can look at, um, there's just so many people, you know, uh, William Windsor. There's so many people that are no longer with us that we don't even know about that did, uh, you know, faced all kinds of, of obstacles and challenges so that we could be here today. Um, and I think we, we want to continue to build on that energy and that vision and that commitment to that kind of work. Um, and I, I, I think we have a, the foundation to do that. We just have to continue to build the will. I, I think that we have, uh, a, a climate and an environment now that is frightening to some people because I think the people that want fairness and equity and justice, there's a, the, it looks different. You have a multiracial, multi generational, um, you know, collective of people that are willing to sit at the table and have the conversation, and um, and I'm I'm proud of that, and I want to plug into that. We have a lot of work to do, as you said, <laughs> you know, but um, but I think that is um, a, that's a, a change that is the result of uh, of a lot of work that's been done over decades.
0: Yeah. And there's still some division uh, within our community that we have to address, and some of us want to address it, and some of us are run away from addressing it. And I uh, want to keep on pushing it into uh, tomorrow, into next year. We'll talk about it later. But until we have some real true heartfelt uh, discussions about race and everybody stay at the table and don't get up from the table and be frustrated, uh, then that's the only time we're going to try to, that healing process
1: uh, is going to start. Uh, and we have not gotten to that point yet, even here in Gifford County. Gotcha. I think you guys kind of answered this one, but I'll ask it anyway. So in your roles as elected officials, you see firsthand the divisive place our country finds itself right now. Rumors spread like wildfire across social media, taken as fact, dangerous personal attacks made on those with different ideas. Seen that recently with the superintendent. Um, not that she had a different idea, but certainly, uh, threats made to her. Seems like there's mostly yelling and little listening. How can we get beyond that, uh, here in our community in Guilford County?
2: Yeah, I think we've we've touched on that already, but I would say Kevin that um the um the strategy to keep things in place has been a part of this arrangement since the, you know, colonial times. You know, when when kid, kidnapped and enslaved Africans, um Native American people and white indentured servants started to see that they were all suffering under the same conditions and for the same reasons and started to get together, you know, and burn down Jamestown, Virginia. That was, that's what Bacon's rebellion was all about. Um, The aristocracy was threatened. They said, we got a problem. What are we going to do? You know, six out of seven people here talking about white indentured servants were poor, indebted, discontented, and armed. It's like, we got to do something. So they invited those, you know, sort of poor, oppressed white people into this identity, into this relationship. And every time, um, you know, there's a threat that there's people that are coming together across lines of differences, that old strategy, you know, the Barry Goldwater and Lee Atwater Southern strategy was to do that again, you know, to, uh, to, to fire up a, a, a group of people who were struggling and suffering to let them, you know, sort of run interference when people were trying to come together. And that's being done today. And what we have to do is we have to realize that that strategy isn't good for anybody because poor white people are suffering and struggling too. They're the largest number of poor people on welfare in this country. And we mask that by acting like it's immigrants and black people uh, and, and, and other people that want to come and take something from you, and they're the reason you're poor and suffering and struggling. And we have to, we have to dispel that myth and that narrative. And uh, so I think we have to continue to have these conversations and to lift that up, because some people don't want that to be known.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Well, I think the negative often gets most attention. And we know firsthand there's a lot of really good work going on, a lot of collaborative, productive work that happens. It doesn't, as you said, get lifted up, um, get highlighted, some things that people don't know. Can uh, each of you share some of what you've experienced in terms of positive collaboration in the political arena? Well, I'll take that. Uh, Over the past year, I think
0: the county commissioners, I would say, uh, have come together uh, to address a lot of issues that's been caused by the pandemic. Uh, we've uh, had grants that we've given to uh, uh, several businesses, up to $10,000. We gave money to nonprofits. Right. Uh, we gave money to the, all the churches, grants to our community uh, groups. Uh, we fed over 8,000 uh, people over the past four months. Families, not people, families over the past uh, four months. Uh, for the first time, uh, the county commissioners, we got together and we gave more money to the schools uh, than we had in the past 20 years, over almost $18, $19 million dollars. Uh, We worked hard in order to make sure that our community, uh, the workers in the in the county, were paid at least uh, $15 an hour. The school uh, cafeteria workers, the bus drivers, making sure that they were p- paid uh, somewhat of a livable wage. So right now, our focus of cap- the county uh, government We're trying to do what we call one Guilford. Everybody uh, working the
1: same, working for one Guilford County. Do you know where some things you've seen, uh, positive collaborations in the political arena?
2: Yeah, I I think Skip is just a a wonderful model of that very thing. He always says, I don't have any permanent friends or permanent enemies, just permanent interests. So all the people hang around, Skip, no, that's his tagline. And I think the minute, you know, we had a shift in the county commissioner, you know, Skip didn't turn it upside down and say, I'm going to. I'm going to do things our way now, immediately has tried to, um, you know, make sure that there was political representation on committees, has reached out to us on the school uh, school board and wanted us to collaborate and work collectively together with the county. And, um, and we have to, you know, we've got three municipalities here. We've got other sectors uh, and other systems. And this fragmentation really keeps us at a real disadvantage. And so I think uh, Dr. Contreras and I have been um, talking to some of the council members, because our municipalities overlap, and uh, the decisions that we make aren't just a decision that affects the school system alone. It affects communities, neighborhoods, health, and wellness. It just uh, intersects in all of those different areas. and so um so I there could be a whole lot more. And um you know, as our political landscape changes, I hope that when different parties are in office, that we try to do less of the partisan, um, you know, decision-making that we've done and, and try to think a little different. That's a challenge though.
1: Yes, no doubt about it. And one recent really positive collaboration between your two organizations was the facilities study. Absolutely. I, mean, I thought that really, really went well from um, some of the firsthand knowledge that I had of that. So, well, what makes you proud, um, Dana, to be a resident of Guilford County?
2: Uh, well, it's where I live. And um, I feel like um, I don't want to be anywhere I don't like. And so this is, this is my community. And I've learned and grown to love and care about the people and the history and the communities and the challenges here. And uh, there's a lot to build on. There's a lot to work on. I've been a part of the, the International Civil Rights Center and Museum since 1994 uh, when uh, I was the first coordinator for that project. We were we had our office over in the First Citizens building and I was still operating. It was still open. And I know when, um, when Woolworth announced they were closing their retail stores and the bank owned the building and they were going to demolish that building for a parking lot. And, and I met Skip and Earl through uh, Ted Mangum's relay program uh, that his son was interning with. And so uh, I met them and they were just like, there's, Skip was president of the state NAACP and said, there's no way you're going to demolish that building. We'll have every black person in Greensboro lay down in front of your bulldozers. So, um, so I'm proud of that, you know, and today it's the thing that everybody said it wouldn't be. Right. So I'm proud That's of that. Yeah.
1: Skip, how about yourself? What makes you proud? be <laughs> other than your son working for? <laughs> <laughs> makes- well, I mean, I've been here uh, for 42 years
0: now. Mm-hmm. I came here uh, when I was 22. Uh, to get married, and uh, and I've been here ever since. I'm I'm originally from Durham, uh, which is a very progressive uh, town also. Uh, But Greensboro has given me opportunities. I've had my business now. I started my business when I was 25, uh, so I've had my real estate business for 39 years. Uh, So I have my company uh, with my employees. I have 16 employees, uh, full-time employees uh, that work for me, Uh, five brokers uh, that work for me. So I'm entrenched uh, into the community. And then when I get an opportunity to meet people who have made history, uh, like Prince Graves and uh, George Simpkins and Herman Giss and all of those folks who have paved the way for me uh, to be able to be to do some of the things that I've done, even from a business standpoint and from a political standpoint. That just didn't happen. Uh, young man, young black man coming from the, the ghettos of Durham uh to be able to come up here and now and been uh been a great part of the influence uh in
1: one of the third largest uh cities in the state. What do you struggle with most with Guilford County? And let's reverse the order. We'll we'll go with you first this time.
0: Uh, uh, changing attitudes. Uh people have to uh accept change or want to change. Uh sometimes it gets hard, you get frustrated over the fact that don't people see this as being the right thing to do? Uh, instead of fighting against change, they say the only person that like change is a wet baby. Uh, <laughs> so we have to uh, learn how to accept change and work with change and even build on that change and not be fearful of it.
2: Yeah, I like that, skin. But think, you know, that's uh, Brian Stevenson, who's a world-renowned human rights lawyer. You know, says we have to be willing to be uncomfortable, right? And the, the, the wet baby's not willing to be uncomfortable anymore. But I think we've we've gotten comfortable with the way that things are. And I um I was looking at um a document from 1957 about my neighborhood, and uh, had three major issues. It had tuberculosis, um, public safety, and sexually transmitted diseases were the big issues. And so the redevelopment commission was making some recommendations, and the recommendations were you know, buy the land and then sell it to private developers. Public housing was, uh, was one of the answers or remedies and code enforcement. And, um, you know, I've been in that community. I bought my house from, from Commissioner Alston. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're all intertwined here. Uh, 20 years ago in this neighborhood. And um, all you have to do is change the date, Gavin. It's the same problems. We have health issues. We have public safety issues. And it's really because of the decisions that the Redevelopment Commission made in 1957. But what's I think what, what I struggle with with Guilford County, and this probably isn't just unique to Guilford County, is that the new people don't know that's been done 70, 80 years ago. And we're still prescribing the same thing. We say how you diagnose a problem determines how you treat it. And, um, you know, and and... And after the Supreme Court came down with the 1954 Brown decision, I think uh, Benjamin Smith was our superintendent at the time. And I read that he was one of the first superintendents in the South to say loudly, to publicly announce that we would be in full compliance with Brown. And he went to the Lineberries and went to other people that helped him. And they went to the civic leaders. And we just said no. You know, we came up with the Pearsall plan. We tried to figure out every way around that to say we don't want our kids learning beside black children. And I don't think we have, um, interrogated that to say what is, what it, because I think there's something about that that's still here. I see it all the time when we're getting ready to redistrict, you know, where your kids are going to go to school today, that sentiment is still there. So I struggle with that culture that, um, you know, and that change that has been not only difficult, but the resistance, resistance to that change, um, you know, manifest um, in people making decisions that they don't want to be around certain children and certain people.
1: Right. Uh, I think your point that it's probably not unique to go for <laughs> right. Is well taken.
2: Well, well, we have
1: listeners of the GEA podcast that want to be engaged. They want to make a difference. We see this in the organization all the time. What advice do you have for them about ways to get into the arena, if you will, and join the work or deepen their current involvement in the community. So I'll say get involved with the um,
0: schools. We're getting ready to do something uh, with the schools that's never been done before. That is com- a completely uh, re- renovated, a uh, renovation of the uh, all of our schools, hopefully spending $2 billion over the next uh, seven to 10
2: years. To add to that, to say, um, you know, I just want to offer some advice from Parker Palmer, uh, who is an a educational reformist that is, does a lot of spiritual work. But he says, well, we have to make it. We have to make a decision ourselves. He said, um, making a decision that I'm no longer going to live outwardly in ways that contradict what I've come to believe to be the truth inside. The next thing he says is that when we've made that decision, we're just going to find ourselves in the company of other people that have made that decision, too. And I I think that's so true today. I think um, so many of our white churches have joined, have stepped up. I know Julie Peoples Church, I know First Presbyterian, Guilford Presbyterian, the Lutheran Church. White churches here have really stepped forward and said justice and equity is is our work. And um and you know and so there are so many places to go today. But then Parker Palmer says, in addition to when, when we make that decision, we're going to find other people who've made that decision too, and then together. We will work on how we translate these individual issues of educational inequity, of health inequity, of wealth inequity. We will translate those individual issues into the broader collective structural issues and solve those problems together. Don't be afraid to cross over the uh, other side of town.
0: Uh, Make some friends uh, and then uh, build build on that friendship and
1: family. Do you know what's a bright future for Guilford County mean to you?
2: Um, I think a bright future is where one day we can look back and see how far we've come from where we were and um, that um, every child, every adult um, has the ability to reach their fullest potential um, and that their opportunities are not hindered by man-made obstacles.
1: What would that mean to you?
2: Um, Well, that that, that would mean a lot to me. It would mean that Um, you know, not only will this be a place that I'm continue to be proud of, but I think we would be a model and a leader in the world, Mm -hmm. you know, that people could look and say, we were willing to be uncomfortable and to do some uncomfortable things. And I think that's setting a, um, you know, setting up a template for our children that they're going to be willing to do uncomfortable things, um, to handle the problems of their time.
1: Right. Right. Um, skip a year from now, what would you like to have accomplished in your current role Number one, pass a $1.7 billion
0: bond package uh, a year from now. Uh, Number two, uh, make sure we vote and pass a quarter cent sales tax uh, for our schools. Uh, Making sure that we unite as one uh, Gipper County, uh, that we're talking to each other, we're working with with each other, and we put aside uh, partisan politics
1: Mm -hmm. and think about the people instead of the party. Do you know a year from now, what, what does it look like for you? Oh, yeah,
2: I, I think um, you know as Skip said, it's just um just to ride under you know on Murrow Boulevard and look up at the overpass and see mattresses and um you know and bags of clothes or whatever it is that's up there, um and so that the the quality of life um for people who um you know just everybody in our society again has improved you know that um that we're seeing people willing to struggle together. I, I'm not, you know, uh, Pollyanna-ish or, you know, um, you know, have these unrealistic expectations that, you know, everything's going to be wonderful. But I do hope that we see a larger and larger coalition and population and collective of people that are saying, I'm not sure, you know, how this is going to be, but I am committed to staying at the table that leaving is not an option. And then I'm here to figure this out, however long it's going to take us to figure that out. Okay.
1: Well, uh, I really appreciate, um, being asked to, to help out on this today. It's an honor to spend time with both of you all. And I've gotten to spend a lot of time with Dina recently on uh, some trainings and it's just always nice to, to talk to you. Well, as our tradition towards the end of a GEA podcast, we <laughs> do a lightning round of three rapid fire questions. However, they're not just one word answer, so they won't be super rapid fire. So Dina, I'll give you the opportunity. You want to go first or second? I'll go first. Favorite subjects in school: social studies. Favorite teacher:
2: Miss Watkins. What? She was my band teacher. I lived in um, in Louisiana, and she um, she was a black woman. She had a big afro. She had long nails, and it was before we had all the 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 nail shops, but they were hers. Uh, But I was just dealing with a lot of identity issues because um, you know light skinned and dark skinned and race in the '70s was just like in New Orleans. It was just intense. And so she really, you know, just kind of took me under her wing and was just amazing. She was this powerful, wonderful black woman that was so hip and so cool. And um, and I, I think that just settled a lot of things, unanswered questions and challenges for me. So I, I loved her. I
1: believe education
2: is important because? <laughs> because you can't solve problems or make decisions without information. I mean, I know it sounds corny when they say knowledge is power. But when you don't have that, you just don't have your finger on the pulse of what's going on.
1: Right, right. I agree. Uh, A really quick aside. I have two daughters, of some graduated from Guilford County Schools. And the number one thing we always told them was find an adult advocate in the building and a teacher to be a mentor is one of the most important things that a student can do. Yeah. It really, somebody that can just talk, what's going on here? What's that mean? I'm sure you had a lot of. A lot of conversations with uh, your teacher like that. Absolutely. That's really cool. Absolutely. All right, Skip, you got you the got the cheat cheater of we got favorite subject at school? Uh math. All right. Favorite teacher.
0: Well I got a tie. Okay. I had my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Battle, uh who taught me really how to be a man, uh and happen not to take no for an answer. Uh, and to challenge uh people when they say something, make them prove it. Uh, not to take somebody's answers uh, for for granted that they're correct. Right. Uh, he taught us that. Uh, Miss Spears uh, in the seventh grade, she taught us to dream big, and that uh, we can do all things. Uh, At that, that when I was in seventh grade, that's when I think Arthur Ashe uh, won the U.S. Open. Right, right. And um, and she she always talked about Arthur Ashe and the way how he made his race proud, and we can be just like Arthur Ashe. If we stay in school, we study and stick to something. And that really motivated me uh, to really uh, think serious about education. I believe education is important because? It's the roadmap to success. Without education, I don't think you can be as successful as you could be. You can make it, but at some point, <laughs> you're going to be exposed. <laughs> right. so you got to be able to know uh, what you're doing
1: and how to do it. Gotcha. Yeah, I. that's great. I appreciate this. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, I'm a little younger than you, but my first sports hero was Arthur Ashe. And I was still tennis player to this day. And <laughs> one of the reasons I love playing was because of him and some of the stories that I'm we would hear. Well, I thank you both for being here today. On behalf of the Guilford Education Alliance, thank you for your unwavering dedication to students and your leadership in our community. Thank,
2: thank you, Kevin. Thank Appreciate you, Kevin. Thanks for listening. And you can help us build great schools by sharing this podcast with others. Let's stay connected. G-E-A-N-C dot org.